This week's podcast brought to you by Sock Pockets. Our 11-year-old said the other day, a light bulb buzzed to life above her head, and she said, when I'm 90, it'll be the year 3000. And I said, actually, it will be the year 2100. And she replied, seriously, what a ripoff. Can um can we start by talking about it's not really a hobby but let's just call it your new hobby. I'm I'm all ears. Um putting on a men's college basketball game and then texting me the outrageous average age of the roster. <laughs> that is I was worried where you're going with this but yes that's It's unbelievable. It really is. Well, my hobby or the the average age? No, the average age. It's not really a hobby, but it's you've just done it a, a couple times was, in the uh, last week, and it's 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 blown my mind. I need the blown my mind emoji. I was doing it last night. I was watching, and I don't usually watch a lot of men's college basketball, but I was flipping around, and Richmond at Fordham was on SNY, and there was a bearded guy at the line for Richmond who. I believe, was in his sixth year of college basketball. He went into um, college in 2016, which is six years ago now. And, uh, and I, I just started looking up the guys on these rosters. And, and the Providence roster's average age, I think we said, is 23 or thereabouts. Um, there are a lot of 23 and 24-year-olds. Yesterday, whichever one of those teams you texted me yesterday. Richmond. Richmond's average age. Is twenty four years old, and and I, I understand. Think was, I think was I don't think the average age was twenty four, but I think they had they had some number of uh, four players maybe who were returning for their sixth year. I'll have to look that up. And um and this is a unique year because of COVID last year. Players last year didn't count towards eligibility, so um, players could stay. And and a lot of times in men's basketball, especially at mid major programs, um, where they're looking to develop players, they might redshirt them. So they, they recruit a kid out of high school, they redshirt him while they develop him, and then the kid has four more years to play. Um, and then you add the COVID year last year that didn't count. So you get guys at again, mostly mid major programs where some of them are in their sixth year, but it but it does. It makes the age of these kids ridiculous. And you add to all of that the fact that reclassifying has become a thing, not only in high school, but in eighth grade. Um, we talked about this a little bit last year, but like one of the, the teams in, in our, uh, our son's Catholic League, um, I, I think has three players who are reclassifying, which just means they're repeating eighth grade at a different school, 100% for sports so that they can get a year older. And for boys, that means, you know, a year older, a year bigger, a year stronger. Um, so uh, so then that plus these kids five years in college lends you to have a 24-year-old kid playing college sports. It seems like how old? I was 21 when I graduated college. How old were you? You were I 21 as well. 21 or... or yeah, you were um, 21. Yeah. And yeah, I was uh, 21. I was going to say or 20, but I was, I was know, 17 when I went to college. Yeah, so yeah, I was 21. You and I are the same because we're, we had fall birthdays. Um, we have fall birthdays. So it just blows me away to think like, you know... 24 years old graduating college but um but i was talking to a parent maybe a year or two ago whose son did that who um reclassified and then you know for basketball and 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 played college basketball and um what the dad said to me is like nobody asks you how old you are when you graduate like or how how old are you when you graduate it's like you know it helps your kid get an advantage playing in college and you know what's really the drawback it's just um just so foreign i'd like to reclassify just in life i know you know i'm just gonna repeat you know my second year again at whatever job it is i'm gonna repeat my 50th year of life right just over and over it's like we talked about last week the anniversary of your birthday exactly did i just say that like sean connery the anniversary the anniversary but um but anyway, please continue. And it won't be the same like for a Kentucky or Duke because they've got so many one and done guys. But if you find yourself watching a non-power five, as they like to say, or the Big East would would like it to be power six, um, let uh, let me know the average age. There's no longer I – mean, these guys aren't one and done. They're not two and through. They're not three and, and – I don't uh, know. 
I don't think it was ever three in anything. Well, but it's it's it, it, it's six, six and done. Right. I wonder too. Like, will there be in record books? Because of course, a kid who plays a fifth year at a college last year didn't count, but you still get twenty plus games in. Like, if the kid then becomes the all-time leading scorer at that place, will there be a, Absolutely. a notation? But there will also be different records. For instance, the, the, the guy who was shooting the free throw last night, who I, I photographed on TV and sent it to you in a different room, who was, uh, I think, 24 in his sixth year, uh, had set a record, had set the Richmond record for most games played in the program. It's over 140 at this point. And they're, what, halfway through their season? 140. How many college ga- How many games did you play in college, including in, in the tournament? I don't know. Well, you played. You were thirty-five and all your senior year, right? But say you average thirty games a year times four, you're at one hundred and twenty, and that's if you play on a really, really good team that gets to play thirty games yeah. a year. But if you had gone thirty-five and zero for four years, you'd have played in one hundred and forty games. Right, and he has already played in one hundred and forty games. Well, Is that already. what the number was? Yeah, he's he's yeah, he's it's crazy. Well, there's there's a f- women's player at Indiana. Um, their point guard, Allie Patberg, who is in her seventh year. She, um, she went to Notre Dame. She transferred. She had a couple of knee injuries um, and then was granted the sixth year of eligibility last year. And then, of course, cause, because of COVID, she's, um, she's able to come back in her seventh, seventh year. But I'm, I'm like, that's a whole completely different situation because a lot of hers was due to injury. And, and it's, you know, outside of sports, academically, there are people who are on oh, yeah, a college campus for their entire lives. Of course. Graduate students. I mean, in, in these basketball players are graduate students, right? Um, unless they're, like, taking a second undergrad. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> but, it, it, of course, it's affected, like, kids who were seniors in high school this year because, you know, they were ready. If they were getting recruited, they were ready next year to be freshmen in college. And then, wait a minute, um, you know, we're going to keep a guy for – another year because last year didn't count and we'd rather have the 24 year old than the 18 year old um so it is having a bit of a trickle down effect um but uh but yeah we look at our like 13 year old eighth grader (laughs) like wait a minute college should be you know five years away and uh four years college is four years away and uh and like, well, he, you know, 17 years old, there's going to be kids in his sociology class who are 24. It's just weird. It makes it makes every regular freshman Doogie Hauser now. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Our oldest, who's a senior in high school, said something to me yesterday that just made me laugh, but it also made me think a little bit um, just about little kids' brains. And she said... Um, she said, Mom, because I, I leave tonight to fly to North Carolina to call NC State-Louisville game tomorrow, top five matchup. Hopefully it will be incredible. Um, the weather's supposed to be bad there, so I'm, I'm hoping st- they still get a decent turnout of fans. But uh, she said, Mom, when I was little and I saw you watching basketball games, and then you would leave and you would go talk ball game. So when I was little, I thought that like ESPN had sent you the game, you watched it, and then when you went to call it, it was that same game. So, like, you knew what was going to happen, and you were just watching that as, like, your homework. <laughs> like like Ronald Reagan recreating baseball games on the radio in, the, in 1935. I guess. Um, so, yes. So she thought when she saw me watching games, preparing, that, like, that today I would be watching this Louisville-NC State game, and then tomorrow I'd fly somewhere and call it, like, off of the monitor of a game that I already watched and would know. Um, exactly what was going to happen. So I thought that was that was an interesting insight about what her mind was when she was little. And then um, and then our youngest uh, said to me last night. I think I was I was watching a game. She said, "Mom, WNBA players or or even um, college players, where do you think WNBA players keep their uniforms? In their closet?" <laughs> and she meant like in season. WNBA players, and of course, because she has her little basketball uniform, she's got her school, her uniform for her school team and her uniform for her travel team, and she keeps hers in her bottom drawer. Did he keep them in her closet? And I don't know why that struck me so funny, because of course, like, that would be where you would think a player would keep their uniform. I said, oh, there's, especially in college and in the pros, said there's an equipment manager, 
said, and they wash your uniform and you don't see it again till the next game and it's hanging in your locker. Um, I can remember when I first got to UConn and uh, in preseason and some of the seniors like, oh, you just go around the building, around Gamble, you go to the cage and they'll give you your role. Like what? Go to the cage and they'll give me my role. It sounded like an illicit drug this uh, is, transaction. This is all using the same terms you would use in, in prison. I yes, think, too. exactly. So you go to the back and it, it was like there was a cage and um, the counter and then behind it was the equipment room and you and they would just give you what the the role was: shorts and a shirt, a t-shirt, and uh, I think that's all it was, and maybe socks, and that's what you used to work out, and you return that back in. But that wasn't specific to you. It's kind of gross. You just told them what size you were. Um, and then once the season started, it was like your practice penny with your number on it, your specific shorts, your um, socks, and whatever. And then um, when I was with the Olympic team, we, you'd get your pin, and it was this giant safety pin, giant safety pin, and you just clipped you're, you went through the arm of your T-shirt and then your penny, and this is before dry fit, so there's heavy clothes on there. You'd put a hole in the top of your socks, your sports bra, everything would go on there. They'd wash it, and then you'd get the pin back. But a bunch of times, and that was, again, back before dry fit, and, and I think this uh, sponsor of um, USA Basketball then was Champion, so it was those heavy gray T-shirts. That's what you'd wear as your base layer with your heavy reversible practice penny over it. Half the time, like where the pin had gone through like your right sleeve would still be soaking wet and it was gross you'd put on like you put on your outfit for practice and you got your right wet shoulder um but uh but so no anyway i did not explain all of those things to her well, i just said you know no they don't keep them in their closet but uh and then when you processed out when you when you were processed out of the olympic team was it like you were leaving prison and they gave you back the wallet right. and the personal effects that you had when you came in? Well, that year. I mean, that's was, what the cage is. And that's, right. we had a cage in high school, same thing. And that's where all the the uh, uniforms and stuff were, you know, when, when that high school closed, my, after my sophomore year, people broke into the cage and were, were swiping basketball shorts and stuff. Uh, we didn't have a cage in high school. We were given our uniform and, uh, and I can remember in polyester, my polyester Southwick Rams uniform. And I can remember a couple of times you'd go to grab it and realize you hadn't washed it. And it was still a little damp from the previous game. And like, so you just throw it in the dryer with a dryer sheet. Um, and so then when it came out, it just smelled like B.O. and dryer sheet. Like it didn't solve um, any of the Well, problems. you know, the first two letters in bounce. <laughs> you can't spell bounce. Fabric right. software without B.O. Right. Um, those those uniforms, at least ours, our high school uniforms, which were also polyester, were Sandknit. Was that the brand Sandknit? Uh, I don't remember what brand it was. Ours were, were Sandknit. Ours were so devoid of a brand, it probably didn't even have a tag uh -huh. in the back. I just remember that the as the season went on, those things would shrink, and we would, you know, be in an away team's locker room um, because we didn't wear our uniform to the game. Like you dress, you tug on the bottom clothes. of the yeah, yeah. You put your foot into yeah, the jersey yeah. and try to stretch it. Um, oh, just like such a far cry from from what the what the kids get to wear now. But but what was what, when I was in high school? The the sock game was multiple layers of socks, multiple pair. I mean, I would wear two pair of socks, but one of my buddies wore three or four, emulating Pistol Pete Maravich with the uh, floppy socks. And I also, for a time, like in ninth and 10th grade, when I was at Lincoln High School and the colors were like the Oakland A's colors, would wear uh, a pair of tube socks and over that, like uh, gold sanitary, baseball sanitary socks, just to give them a, a different color. Yeah, we didn't do that. We were just the simple white socks, but I did wear two pair because that was the wisdom passed down to me from my brother. If you're trying to avoid blisters, you got to wear two pairs of socks. I think that's a whole bunch of BS because no, once I got to college, actually in college I still did. Um, no, I wore one pair of socks, but I would I would one of them I would fold a certain way, like you'd pull it up, push it down, then fold it back up so it had a, a little like almost a pocket so that when I came out of the game, I had somewhere to put my um, mouth guard. You had a a, so I, a sock pocket. I made it like a sock pocket. Yes. Not a hot pocket. No. Not a snot rocket. No. Not a pop socket. Correct. A sock pocket. Yes. Not a, sock. A, not a sock puppet. And it's funny because I would, so I'd put my mouth guard in there and I'd come out of the game 
And then um, it was later on I would see like women, girls coming out of a game and they'd take their mouth guard out and put it like through the top of their yeah. sports bra. And I thought that was disgusting. I had no issues putting it in my sock pocket because it wasn't touching any skin or whatever. I thought it was safe and sanitary in the sock pocket. And, and you're only but putting in a sports bra. And, I thought it was disgusting. And you're only putting it in your mouth. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. And did you have elaborate shoelace rituals when you were in high school or in college? I don't know if you remember, but but different ways of lacing your high tops were were a thing. Yeah, I was all about trying to uh, avoid blisters and not turn my ankle. So I would make sure the first time I laced my shoes that, you know, the laces were flat. Yeah. But um, but I didn't have any kind of a ritual beyond Multicolor that. laces, multiple laces, sometimes two, two pair of laces, uh, a pair of laces in each shoe. Right. No, I did not. I know what you're talking about. Lacing patterns, basket weave patterns. I mean, it was it was a thing. Yeah. But not for you. Not for me. And you know what? I don't know who decided that some pairs of basketball shoes should, instead of having the flat laces, like have the round yeah. laces. Bad idea. Horrible. Now, our our youngest um, needed basketball sneakers for this season. So, And we went to the store, and she wanted to get girls' shoes. And so she got Candace Parker's Adidas shoes. Really cool-looking shoes appear very comfortable our daughter loves them it's all about the looks at that yes. stage there i actually i've seen a lot of girls wearing these shoes so yay adidas for being smart enough to um to to do a woman's branded pair of shoes anyway but they have the round laces and especially for a kid those things I mean, you shall tie them tie them tight they're going to come undone yeah. and then i'll tie them and i'll tie them tight and they're going to come undone you got to go with the flat laces and a basketball shoe and then there's always that uh, you run the risk of that ultimate humiliation of the referee blowing the whistle and telling the 11 year old to tie her shoes yeah I've, when all eyes are on you yeah and and it's it happens sometimes at younger ages too and um i became a little bit more attuned to it watching like well, coaching second and third graders and stuff because some of those kids can't tie their shoes and I, I i've seen it where a ref stopped the game and said to tie the shoe and i just like ran out preemptively and like you want me to help you or something because like i knew the kid it was a kid who struggled with that kind of fine but, motor skill and so you got to be careful with it but even if the kid is great at tying their shoes they're going to come untied that's true adult shoes come untied well, uh, adult shoes now don't come tied. I'm wearing Nike blazers now that I've never tied and, and never will tie. Yeah. That fit. It's not meant to be tied. They're not fit to be tied. No. So this is what's on my mind today, at least right now. Well, not right now while we're doing the podcast, but it'll be on. it was on my mind before we started the podcast. It's going to be on my mind <clears throat> when we're done with the podcast as we record this on Wednesday. Tonight, I fly to Raleigh-Durham, to Raleigh, North Carolina, to call this amazing game tomorrow night. I know that there is a snow and ice storm coming to Raleigh-Durham tomorrow evening. I've been there before when they've gotten snow and ice, so I know they have zero capacity to deal with it. They don't have the stuff to treat roads. They don't have snow plows, or not enough of them. They don't have, I think more than one, if one, de-icing machine at the airport. So I know I'm going to get stuck in Raleigh-Durham or Raleigh. And I know there's like very little I can do about it. So I'm staying up last night trying to be like, all right, pretty pretty certain that my flight on Friday morning is going to be canceled. But if the storm doesn't come in until, you know, midnight game will end at 9.30, or if the storm doesn't come in until, you know, later, can I drive to, how, how far north can I drive? Can I drive to Richmond? Could I get to, you know, the, the heaven-sent place of Washington, D.C.? Could I get somewhere where I could then get on a train so I could get home at some point on Friday? This, this has been occupying my mind. You know this. I was looking at the train schedule last night. I'm looking at, like, how far is Richmond from Raleigh? How far is D.C. from Raleigh? Specifically, you were saying, why can't I find Penn Station on the Amtrak site? <laughs> it's com not coming up as Penn Station. What's going on? And I said, just put an NYP. And you put an NYP, and up comes 
Moynihan Terminal or whatever that whatever right, they're calling whatever it it's now. Called the now. Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Yeah. So that's the other piece. Is I'm just trying to get. Can I get out of there so that I can get on a train that brings me north? I don't have a car at Penn Station. I don't have a car in New Haven, another stop on the train station. <laughs> is it New Haven Union Station or New Haven State Street? Well, this was, this that was, wasn't this quite was a, my tone, This was a, uh, it was, a it was more episode, like, and you were trying to figure out which train will get was, you. It was more like, is it New Haven Union Station? I think that was more the tone. But anyway. I said, I don't know, but look at this guy on Richmond. He's 37 <laughs> years old. <laughs> he could tell you how, how long a drive it is from Raleigh to Richmond. Anyway. Looking forward to calling this game, and as soon as the game is over, I know it's just going to become a logistics nightmare. And how the heck do I get home? Am I, like we've got a high school. Well, our our daughter has a high school game on Friday. Our youngest has a basketball game, and so does our um, son. Like my plan was to get to all of those, and it's um anyway. The delights of wintertime travel are that I have um, no idea when I'm going to get back, how I'm going to get back. And um, that part of calling this amazing game does not delight me. You know who's not worried about any of this and never has to worry about any of this ever again? You. Me? No, you do have to worry about what this. Are you, what are you talking about? Who, who doesn't have to worry about this? Uh, <laughs> let's go back to that. I don't have I, to worry about winter weather. And uh, Oh, no, I thought you meant this specific trip. Oh, no, no. I, are you kidding? I know you're going to bear the brunt of all of it if I don't return. Uh, Your plans to go to every basketball game become my plans to go to every basketball game. So who does uh, not have to worry? uh, Producer Denny Gallagher. Oh, right. He's He has made the trek to to Southern California as we speak. He's probably at the intersection of the the 19-way intersection of Sepulveda, La Cienega, La Brea, Ventura Boulevard, and Santa Monica. Or perhaps he's still sleeping because it's it's morning. It's morning here. It's morning there. He could be taking the 101 to the 405 to the 5 to the PCH. We heard that routine last night, didn't we? On Carson, he was doing... um, Oh, he did the Slauson cutoff. Cut off your Slauson. Yes, yes. yes. Art Fern. And uh, I was listening the other day to the traffic report, the L.A. traffic report on, on Sirius XM while driving in... West Hartford, Connecticut, because I just enjoy the traffic and the weather from other places, but particularly L.A., where you get the marine layer and then the reference to the Inland Empire. The Inland Empire? The Inland Empire is like uh, east of downtown Los Angeles. That's referred to as the Inland Empire. Oh, I did, I, I've never yeah. heard that before. Yeah. Well, that's... I need to listen to more traffic reports. Yes. Yeah, so Instead of worrying about my weather in Raleigh, I should be w- watching and listening to reports from sunny California. Yeah, but Denny, Denny is, uh, he's ensconced. He is, uh, he's there. Nothing to say about that. Oh, well, I'm sh- I'm Mazel tov. I, I, uh, On his drive, because I'm a mother of four, my, I was worried. Like, I hope he's having a nice time on his drive, but I'm also a little bit worried about young Denny. I'm hoping he gets there safely part of me i'm just relieved that he's arrived safely and ready to start this new and exciting phase of his life and i know he is relatively near the the concrete staircase the steps where laurel and hardy were trying to push the piano up remember i don't famous music box uh episode of laurel and hardy I, I am not well versed in my laurel and hardy but but physical comedy is such a uh it's such a passion <laughs> you know, I of yours. <laughs> I mean, I know I know another sort of analogy to Denny's situation. I think it's an oxymoron, physical comedy. Do you do? I do. I think there's nothing funny. You at hate all. the Three Stooges. I don't hate them. I just don't find them funny. You 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 also hate kind of uh, misunderstandings in situ in, in sitcoms. So I was going to say also Three's Denny. Three's Company. Three's Company. I was going to say Denny is is he's Jack Tripper. Not he's not living with with uh, uh, two other women, as far as I know. But he's, he's, uh, he's out there in Southern California in, a, in, a, in an apartment, uh, a la Jack Tripper. Okay. With uh, Mr. Furley. Mr. Roper. Or Mr. Roper, uh, demanding the rent. What was J- Jack's friend's name? Curly-haired guy? Oh, Larry? Yeah, Larry. They what would if go he's to the, found his Larry? <laughs> Or his regal beagle. <laughs> I don't know. Has has Denny found his Larry? <laughs> has Denny found his regal beagle? And is Denny being harassed by his Mr. Furley slash Mr. Roper? We want to know these things. We if do. if Denny understands any of these references, perhaps he can tell us next week. 
Shall we get to viewer mail? Let's get to viewer mail. Big bad book, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. Our first viewer mail comes in from a Tom, our resident college football fan. And in fact, he has attached a picture uh, from uh, Spartan Stadium, Michigan State. Hello, Tom. Tom writes, uh, Rebecca and Steve, as the resident college football fan for the Ball and Chain podcast, do you think the IRS will allow me to to deduct my travel expenses and tickets for my trips to games this season? Since I take my role for the Ball and Chain podcast very seriously, my, quote, research this season included three trips to East Lansing, Michigan, one trip to South Bend, Indiana, one trip to West Lafayette, Indiana, one trip to Blacksburg, Virginia, and one trip to Atlanta for the Peach Bowl. In fact, he's 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 uh, attached photographs of all of these places, and they're spectacular. I have to say. Well, I think any accountant worth their weight would say, "Give it a try. <laughs> Go no, ahead and try to write these off as a business expense." Well, we're not accountants, yeah. but we are we are uh, hosts of the Ball and Chain podcast, yeah. and I think any any podcast host worth their salt would say, "Absolutely, you, you can and should write them off." You right? think that's a good idea? Uh, sure. Why not? First of all. Uh, let me add this up. Three trips to East Lansing, one to South Bend, one to West Lansing, five, Blacksburg, six, and the Peach Bowl, seven. He, he, is, he has as, as arduous a schedule as any college football program. That's going to say. seven games, like, including a bowl game. That sounds like Holly Rose's schedule in a week. But, yes, seven games is incredible. Well, presumably, uh, he's he's got a side hustle uh, since my kids tell me that there's no photo evidence that if there's no photo evidence it never happened I have included pictures from each trip look closely at the one from the jumbotron that features the ad for Spanx I have no clue who thought of that ad by uh, but they need to raise I hope Rebecca laughs at that one and in fact let's see uh, from the Chick-fil-a peach bowl there was an ad for Spanx you <laughs> see that and the tagline is best tight ends in the game shop Spanx.com Lovely. And of course, it's the picture of a woman's derriere with, uh, in faux leather Spanx. Derriere. The Chick-fil-A bowl. The Chick-fil-A bowl. Mm. Derriere. Uh, has we come up, have we talked about this before? I don't think so. The, the, the regional airline in Wisconsin? No. I don't know where you're going, so I'm assuming we haven't spoken about it before. That's wh- I, I, I'm not going anywhere. Derriere. A regional airline in Wisconsin. Is it seriously, or are you just saying it should be? It should be. Oh, okay. I was like, because where, whoever, where, where whoever would started Dairy Air in Wisconsin, where, kudos where, to them. Where, where would it fly from? Green Bay to Madison to <laughs> Waukesha to... to uh, Dairy yeah, Air. Okay. Very uh, nice. Not sure what to do with my free time now, but as I write this, I am watching Valpo at Illinois State Women's Hoops. A Tom, your resident college football fan. Perhaps Tom can weigh in with, with the, the uh, average age of each roster. In the future. Uh, well, it was women's basketball, so it wouldn't be nearly That's true. what it is on the men's side. Uh, Sean in Maryland writes, Hello, Steve and Rebecca. Just a quick note. I am your boxing correspondent candidate, without a doubt. You asked, Rebecca, in a previous podcast about how arm length and reach impacts Oh, right. If there's an advantage. ideal, yeah. or if there are ideal dimensions. Well, we now, have, we now have a resident boxing right, correspondent, and it. it's Sean. Check my blog out for my boxing qualifications. Uh, that's that's uh, thoughtsofrs.blogspot.com. Uh, thanks for the consideration. Longer note next time, Sean in Maryland, and uh, we will we will. Uh, well, Did he I'll send an answer? Well, I don't know that you had a question. Did I, you? I did. I said, "Is there like ideal dimensions?" Well, I mean, uh, uh, we'll we'll uh, height, weight, but but like. I'll, exp- I'll um, explore. I'll expand. Ex- I'll explore his blog and see if there are any answers there. If not, I'm sure as our boxing correspondent, uh, he will uh, clue us in. From Maryland to another part of Maryland, this is Ralph in Maryland. Writes, "Hi, Restiva. I suppose we, the viewers, are hobnobbing with people of higher celebrity when we write to you and get a response. I will not comment on status except to say that Sarah's status has not changed in the UConn hierarchy, but her overall celebrity has, thanks to her appearance on the Antiques Roadshow." I gave up smoking years ago, writes Ralph, and smoked Pall Malls for a number of years. I have noticed a lot of vaping smoking shops opening up around here and wonder what's all the fuss about. I will be watching the game at Xfinity at home this time. I will see if there is any Yukon bias. Um, that's from Ralph. Which game? 
Was that the Maryland game? <laughs> I don't know. Xfinity. I, I, I can't keep track of the corporate names. I think of Xfinity. Ferris I think that's the Maryland game that we did this past Sunday. But that wasn't Maryland UConn. No, it was Maryland. Michigan. Um, Michigan. And Maryland. Um, Michigan played great. Maryland did not. And it was a very lopsided game. Again, a place where there was terrible weather that came in. Ryan and I actually ended up calling the game from Bristol because of weather-related issues for us and others. Um, but uh, So there wasn't a huge crowd there. But um, Brenda Freeze, that morning, the morning of the game, her father passed away. And um, it, like every time we would show um, her on the bench or show her husband and kids on the baseline, it was just like who really cares about this basketball game, you know, but, um, but Michigan played great. Nas Hillman, even though her numbers, Nas Hillman, I, there's a play that I posted on Twitter and, uh, I think Nas Hillman didn't end up with double figure scoring or double figure rebounding. She's a really, really great player, but she does so many other things. Like she sets screens that get people open. She, um, works hard and, and gets tips on the defensive end. And, um, anyway, there's this play there's like 20 seconds left in the second quarter. Michigan's up by at least 20. And a guard for Michigan turns the ball over. And almost every other player in that circumstance, after her teammate turns the ball over, would like jog back. You're up 20. Time's running out. This kid sprints, puts on the jets, comes down, and blocks the shot of the Maryland player. It was just like it was nothing but hustle and effort and um, I'll, re- I'll, I'll retweet it actually on our ball and chain Twitter handle just because it was um, it was my favorite hustle play of the year and it uh, and it, just because it was 100% effort. Nas Hillman so it's a great name, great sounding name, but uh, the UConn game that I did see this week was UConn uh, women at Oregon. And Oregon's player Tahina Pow Pow. I mean, Tahina is, is, Pow is, that, Pow. is there a greater name than that? No. In, in college athletics. No. I mean, your last you're an athlete, and your last name is Pow Pow. Um, yeah, she's a sophomore. The Oregon point guard Tahina Pow Pow. She's a really good player. She's been hurt a lot of the season. Um, Niara Sabali is a really good player for them. She's been hurt much of the season. India Rogers has been hurt much of the season. They're all back. Um, UConn was undermanned. Um, they found out, I guess, that day that Kristen Williams um, had to be put in uh, COVID protocol. UConn did not, um, you know, did not make it a close game. Um, they came, stepped out to a 10-0 lead, and then uh, and then Oregon was able to uh, to make it come back, and then it wasn't very close the rest of the way. But um, yes, Tahina Pow Pow, a great player, and uh, and every time I heard her name. Uh, I heard the old uh, Purina Cat Chow uh, jingle, Purina Cat Chow, meow, meow, meow. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Tahina Pow Pow, Pow Pow Pow, you know, <laughs> Pow Pow Pow. I mean, she's great. I know. It's great. And uh, she's getting screens set for her by Niara Sabali. That rolls off the tongue pretty nicely. Sedona Prince. Great names. Um, just, yeah, that's a, that's certainly a roster full of great names. Our next viewer mail to ballandchainpod at gmail.com comes from uh, Brian, who Brian in New Jersey, who writes, uh, who sends a promotion that the American Red Cross is doing. Uh, get a Red Cross Raglan t-shirt with two blood donations by June 30th, 2022. And uh, Brian writes, Russians, if I, if I give, do you think I can get someone to draw your faces on the t-shirt? <laughs> Like in the logo. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah, and but that, the we, that would The that shirt might. is just the red, the red cross logo, the red plus sign. That would get us into some sort of trouble, I'm sure. Some sort of copyright logo infringement. Uh, George in Columbus, uh, our monocle and pumpkin dealer, writes, Steve, on last week's podcast, we learned that you are using women's reading glasses borrowed from either Holly Rowe or one of Rebecca's friends, and this situation is actually an upgrade from your previous broken temple, that's what the arm is called, glasses that you have salvaged from your household's lost and found bin. It's called a temple? Apparently. I didn't know that. I I've been around gr- glasses my whole life. I did not know the arm was called a temple. Well, it, it, it runs alongside your temple. I know. And not alongside your arm. So I guess it makes sense. But it's interesting, right? It's very interesting. Okay, I love all on. this insider uh, info you know, of, of a specific occupation. 
profession. While some of your uh, listeners might wonder why you are not using your monocle with your contact lenses, I imagine that you are likely saving it for when you and Rebecca start hobnobbing in your golden years. <laughs> I could use my monocle as, as my, my reading monocle, right? Why not? I would think that might give you a headache. It might. As your purveyor of ophthalmic affectations, writes George in Columbus, I send you some. I sent you some Chuck Schumer like. <laughs> God, I hope this is true. Right there, it sounds uh, like a wheeze. As your purveyor, well, first of all, just consider the poetry of this of this phrase. As your purveyor of ophthalmic affectations, mm-hmm. I mean, how great is that? It's great. I yeah. sent you some. Get this. Chuck Schumer, like half-eye reading glasses. You can picture that, can't you? Of course. Uh, if you perch them on the end of your nose, you can pretend you are a Senator Russian from the great state of Connecticut grilling a witness before your subcommittee. I picture you, I picture you as an appropriations guy. <laughs> I also included a tasteful simulated gold chain to hang the glasses around your neck so they don't end up in someone else's lost and found. Hope they work out for you. All the best, George and Columbus. George, uh, I, I hope this is, is true. And uh, the next time I go to the P.O. box, there will be a pair of Chuck Schumer-like half-eye reading glasses that I can that I can uh, perch precariously at the end of my bulbous nose. If it is true, and I've got no reason to believe it's not, and you go to the P.O. box and, and get these glasses and this wonderful chain, will you remember to write a thank you note? Uh, will I? Yeah. Uh, of course. Okay. Give them a verbal thank you note. On the podcast, okay. <laughs> no, of course. Uh, I would. Well, anyway. Hi, Stephen Rebecca writes Ken. Well, I had my very first piano lesson yesterday. You may you may remember Ken was going to uh, get piano lessons in the new year. Never too old to learn. Of course not. Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, I must say, I was very encouraged to hear that even though Steve is challenged with snapping, he was able to learn how to play the piano. So I wasn't nervous at all, and it was a pleasant experience. The first thing my teacher taught me was how to properly position my left and right hands. As I think about it, some of the best piano players must be ambidextrous. It will be quite an interesting experience to learn a new skill like this at my age, but I'm going to just keep saying to myself, Steve can do it, so you can do it. Well, I think that's a, that's a, a good adage to keep in mind in any human endeavor. Have you ever asked your piano teacher if he prefers teaching kids? Or teaching adults? Well, I've had that conversation. Uh, adults, I mean, I think he likes kids because they're much more fun than adults, but but kids often don't practice, or sometimes kids are forced to be there by their parents, whereas the adults are seldom forced to have been there by their parents and are kind of in it. Seldom. Because, yeah, because they want to... Uh, you know, they just, they just they want to do it. So they, they actually practice and they can... But, but the kids, as we know from... Because our 11-year-old takes the lesson immediately after mine, and I sit there and watch her lesson, they are so much more uh, absorbent and uh, responsive to, it's like learning a language. You know, they can pick it up as a kid, and it's so much harder as an adult. Right. So, you know, our, our, our I will come home with a piece of music, so I, I new one this week, and, and our daughter will look at it on the piano and she'll start playing it so i they're just much they're just much more uh you know teachable i think at that at that age than i am but i'm more motivated i was listening to last week's episode writes ken where you talked about people who are left-handed i grew up playing ice hockey until eighth grade when they started checking and i checked out I was amazed to see that there were so many people who write with their right hand but play hockey with their left hand do either of you know why this may be the case well ken I can tell you that I write right-handed, and I play hockey left-handed. You do? I do. So uh, I don't know why that is, but but uh, a golf swing feels nearly impossible to me left-handed, but uh, but shooting a hockey puck feels uh, nearly impossible to me right-handed. I mean, my family would argue that it was it was impossible for me left-handed as well. But uh, yeah, I was a naturally left-handed hockey player the only thing i did left-handed that is interesting i mean i I think i've mentioned before i write left-handed and i eat left-handed and i do fine motor left-handed but i play all sports right-handed why is that i don't know i think part of it is because i think i was probably naturally lefty 
but like my older siblings were righty so that's the gloves we had although that's not true my brother was lefty who knows i don't know i don't know well ken writes i heard rebecca say she's left-handed yet all these years i watched you play basketball you appear to be a right-handed person how did that happen rebecca are you ambidextrous so you're you are are you ambidextrous you're not equally adept with either hand no but i think it helps you know I think I'm pretty good with both hands. So even as a basketball player in close to the basket, I was I could score equally well with my left hand and right hand. And it used to drive Chris Daly crazy because I always wanted to go over like the the wrong shoulder for the hand I wanted to shoot with. And she used to be like, you're left bodied, but you're right handed and it's just screwing you up. <laughs> but would but, it also uh, screw up opponents? Hmm, no, just me. Bob in North Carolina writes, uh, Dear Rebecca and Steve, below are two versions of the same list. You may opt for either the bulleted list or the enumerated one. Which would you prefer, Rebecca? Um, I think I think when I'm speaking it, the enumerated one will be easier. Yeah, and I don't like the word bullet. Visually, the bullet the bullet points I, I prefer, but but I'm going to speak these uh, speak these into existence. Speak them. One, I am a retro completionist. Started listening to the podcast around episode 50, then binge listened to the earlier episodes to catch up. That's interesting. It is. Two, I am an aspiring bicentennialist. I look forward to the Ball and Chain 200th episode, Extravaganza. What episode are we up to now? Are we in the 190s? Oh, yeah. We're like pushing 200. I think we might be 198. Maybe we should plan a, a giant bicentennial celebration. This is episode 198. So... Two weeks from now, we'll have the pod centennial. Sure. Three, I am five feet, 11 inches tall, but I round up to six feet. It's not allowed. Well, I mean. Unless you're in your sneakers and you're on a roster. I mean, you usually round up to the nearest inch. I like that he's rounding up to the nearest (laughs) foot. Right. So if he were five, uh, five, he would presumably round down to five feet, right? Right. Uh. Four, last week you discussed ideal physiques for, for a variety of sports. While I am no professor of pugilistic perfection, I recall that on the extras of the Cinderella Man DVD, Angelo Dundee explained that Russell Crowe has a good build for boxing. He does not have the excessive bulging muscles of a bodybuilder. Rather, his build allows him to extend his arm in order to counter from a defensive position to throwing a punch. That, that makes make sense. sense you don't want your muscles so tight that you can't have full extension, right? Because that would be your bicep. If your bicep maybe was too yeah. big. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I sort of have that problem, and, and uh, so right. it wouldn't make for a good boxer. All right. Next p- bullet point. Uh, five. My friends call a Rockford the driving maneuver that James Garner used to back up speedily in a 90-degree turn, usually slinging gravel, then speeding off toward the next leg of his private investigation. That's what we called a Rockford as well in high school, and I think that's universally known as... The Rockford. Thus, thus my use of the <laughs> phrase the Rockford. The Rockford. known by a certain generation. Like, I don't think any of our daughter's friends in high school are calling it a, the Rockford. Only, only because they, they've been deprived of that experience. There's, there's probably some sort of um, no, there fast and furious. Probably. Uh, Tokyo Drift. Name for too it. Too fast, yeah. too furious. Well, uh, I, I pity those fools, to use another outdated reference. Uh, Dear Chain, writes Scott in Connecticut. Dear Af- Chain. Dear Chain, after hearing Rebecca's story about running out of fuel, I was intrigued by a letter I got from Toyota a couple of days ago. As you can see from the attached letter, and here indeed it is, Toyota has identified a, quote, condition with some of its vehicles where, quote, the fuel gauge needle and the distance to empty estimated in the vehicle display accurately indicate the approximate amount of remaining fuel in the fuel tank. However, some drivers are continuing to drive after the low fuel light illuminates, causing them to potentially run out of fuel and be inconvenienced. Fortunately, Toyota has a solution as any dealership will, quote, reprogram the combination meter ECU to adjust the timing of when the low fuel light illuminates, free of charge. So that's interesting because we have to bring the Toyota in for its service and I can just ask them to make the fuel light go on when there's more miles left. Well, this is what this is what Scott says. I can't wait to get this service done so that my fuel light will come on earlier and I can drive longer before I run out of fuel. No, well, but no, but it, what's helpful with this for us is that our oldest has her license now. That's a car she will drive. And hopefully 
she gets herself programmed to not let it get so low that the light would come on, but that would be helpful because her brain, if she ever saw that light, would be like, oh my gosh, I got to get to the gas station. So it, it would have a use f- for a while until you realize exactly how far you can go and then right. you're going to push the limits anyway. It's it's uh, it's a bit of a snooze button conundrum. Yeah, yeah. Dear Steve and Rebecca writes Steve, shortened from Stephen with a PH. of, yes. sorry. Go ahead. I never, ever use the snooze button, ever. Neither do I. Ever. I occasionally have accidentally detonated it, but only accidentally while flailing for the alarm. College, I never used the snooze button. High school, on like the physical alarm clock where you're hitting the top, never used it. It's an unpleasant sensation to to know that you have seven more minutes. Why? What's the point? Like, if I'm going to be startled out of a sleep, which never feels good, right? Like, when the alarm goes off, it never is. It's not a pleasant way to wake from sleep why would you do it again seven minutes later or ten minutes later or whatever i do not understand the users of snooze i wonder if it's like two to i wonder if this is one of those things where you you either are a snooze user or you're not a snooze user users who are snoozers yeah what about abusers of of the snooze snooze. (laughs) well maybe maybe people will write in next week but um, I just don't understand the mentality of the snooze user. So, so this is a this is you're soliciting snooze users mm-hmm. to defend themselves. Yes, I'm 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 asking for those folks to step up and be counted. Uh, dear Stephen Rebecca, greetings and happy new year to you and to the B and C listeners. To start the year on the proper note, I submit the following for entry into the B and C ledger, or if you prefer, into my permanent record: height six four, wingspan six six, shoe size eleven and a half. Ah. But no BMI. No BMI. That's okay. BMI might be TMI. Please do not let these lull you into thinking that I could have or should have played basketball. I love the sport, but have absolutely no ability to coerce any of my various limbs into anything resembling a coordinated effort on the basketball court. As such, I was better in the pool. I could, however, retire if I had earned even a few dollars for each time I've been asked if I played basketball. That is an occupational hazard of the 6-4 and over. Or if you're a girl like our daughters, mm, 5-10 and over probably. Yeah, pretty much. On the subject of The Rockford, your interest in the show brought back great memories. There were many of us in the neighborhood who watched the show, and James Garner's plaintive awe, Angel, still rings in my ears. In particular, we loved his driving prowess and, f- and for us, pulling a Rockford. Meant accelerating in reverse, doing a 180-degree turn, then squealing the tires as we took off in the other direction. So, Rebecca, you see, this is pretty much a universal Clearly. Uh, uh, impulse. As young... Young ruffians without licenses or cars, we could only try and recreate it on our bikes, but I am proud to say that in high school, courtesy of a friend who had a Chevy Nova with what was apparently a bulletproof transmission and who lived on a rural dirt road, we mastered the move. We never did so wearing khaki pants and blazers, but we sure had a blast. What a great show, and with a classic 70s theme song, yet another Mike Post composition to boot. Perhaps the greatest theme song uh, from the great uh, theme song composer Mike Post, who did, among other things, Hill Street Blues, in addition to uh, Rockford House. How did Rockford the Rockford Files You know, it's, it oh, would yeah, start with the yeah. leave a message yes. on his answering machine. Yes. And it would usually be something like, uh, this is the Red Cross. You know, you promised us two pints of blood and we're coming to get it. You know, it was usually a short joke that I, that I have read was a pain and a burden for the for the writers of the show because they had to come up with 22 of those little jokes to start the show every week, whereas every other show just had to run their credits. Right. In closing, writes Steve, I'm also happy to report that of all the cooking I did over the holidays, I remained true to my promise to use inappropriate measuring cups. <laughs> Looking forward to more of the BNC podcast. Does that mean they've got naughty pictures on them, or is he using the dry measure for the wet measure? <laughs> inappropriate cups was... Uh, was uh, he was on the McDonald's All American team? Yeah, in uh, 1979, inappropriate yeah. cops. He played. <laughs> he went to Memphis State. Uh, well, I thought he would have gone to UNLV. He went to UNLV. Inappropriate cops. Looking forward to more of the. It, there are two P's in cups. Uh, looking forward to more of the BNC podcast in the weeks to come. And as always, I remain Steve, shortened from Stephen with a PH, ever on the job reporting from the northern suburbs of the Twin Cities. Thank you, Steve. And finally. Finally, finally, in episode 198, we get to uh, the notorious DGS. Yes. 
Somebody who's a completionist will have to go back and let us know when or which episode did Dr. Siegel become the the cleanup hitter. Cleanup hitter? Yeah. Well, here he is. Dear Rebecca and Steve, writes Dr. Siegel, congratulations on another fun-filled podcast to help all of us viewers pass an hour while driving, exercising, etc. Podcast number 197 was about as good as they get due to some intentional and perhaps unintentional things that you both said during the hour. Steve, your comments about coffee were exceedingly clever, and Rebecca, I hope that today's audiovisual report, much like an audiovisual daily double on Jeopardy, will make this note a bit more fun for all involved. Let us begin. And and, and there are some uh, audiovisual aids here for uh, Dr. Siegel's um, missive, all his, right. his epistle. The first letter of uh, Dr. Gary Siegel to the completionists. I think that, that would be the biblical right. Uh, book. Right. One. Coffee was an unusual lead-off topic, and I'm glad that Steve has graduated to fancier coffees that befit his star status. Since Steve mentioned the potential for a coffee spit take, might you, Steve, know the details of the first spit take on TV? Below is the link for a three-minute video of what has been commonly thought to be the first spit take on television from The Danny Thomas Show. But a quick bit of research on Wikipedia revealed to me that Desi Arnaz did it a year earlier on I Love Lucy. Well, I believe Danny Thomas is renowned as the godfather of the spit take, the, the, the grandfather, the, the, maybe not the Thomas Edison, but, uh, but the sort of the, uh, the, uh, the goat of the spit take. Okay. Although Desi Arnaz uh, reminds me that I watched uh, Aaron Sorkin's being the Ricardos on, is it on Netflix, I think? Mm-hmm. A movie about uh, the making of one episode of I Love Lucy at a time when, when Lucy was being uh, kind of dragged publicly for uh, before the uh, McCarthy Red Witch Hunt Committee. And it was a great- You it said was, it was really good. It was right? really good, and, and uh, Nicole Kidman in particular, uh, who I did, wasn't buying as Lucy, prior to watching the movie, uh, I completely bought as Lucy, and, and especially her, her voice. She sounded like Lucy. It was, I, it was remarkable. I thought she was fantastic. Javier Bardem was Desi Arnaz. He was great as well. So was uh, your, your buddy J.K. Simmons as, as uh, William Frawley, Fred Mertz. You have no response to this, but I'll need to watch great. it. Yeah. You know I really like And the Simmons actress and who and played uh, Ethel Mertz was great as well. Great cast. Uh, a small office, a small office coffee story follows. Many years is a small story or a small coffee, perhaps both. We'll find out. Many years ago, Mrs. DGS had a coffee mug made with the children's faces on it. And even though around thirty years have passed since that mug was made, I still have it. Please see the attached pictures. And indeed, here are pictures, adorable pictures of. Look at this, Rebecca, coffee mug, with uh, a young girl's face on it. From That's, years that ago. would be a wonderful. Valentine's present for me. And here's another one. No, no, with, no pay with, attention. I'm, I'm telling paying you it's going to be Valentine's Day. Well, I, I, Take, but not, get, get pictures of the kids at their ages right now. Put them, throw them, well, it might be hard to put four on a mug, but um, I would love that. What, what, what's remarkable to me about these pictures, 30 <laughs> years have passed. I, okay, noted. No, 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 no. No, I'm, 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 I want to hear what's remarkable. Is there no coffee stains? Well, it's not that. It's it's they fashion and haircut wise, they could have been taken yesterday. Oh, that's true. They, they 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 dated well, as opposed to if if my mom had gotten one of these coffee mugs when I was a kid. Not that it w- would have ever happened, or that the technology probably was even in in existence. Uh, we would look back in in horror or hilarity right. at the fashions and the haircuts and whatnot. So uh, I, I would say that's a. Uh, Mrs. DGS, uh, a compliment to Mrs. DGS. Yes, timeless. One day years ago, a new front office employee enjoyed her morning coffee from it, and it struck me that she would have had no reason to know that it belonged to me. After that day, I decided that the mug could reside in one of the cabinets in my office, not in the kitchen with a gaggle of mugs, and I could wash it after using it and thus keep it around for decades. It it would be odd to be drinking coffee, I think, out of a mug that featured somebody else's kids picture on it somebody like who would do that well you know people who work in an office they'll eat your food they'll they'll yeah that's a little weird similarly at some point between 30 and 50 i realized that if i came to work with coffee in a travel mug that i could actually wash it and take it home ready to use the next morning rebecca do you wash your travel mug at espn we've seen the cafeteria and the tv ads of course especially the thrilling commercial during which the late great arnold palmer makes well an arnold palmer 
Uh, Rebecca, do you wash your your uh, travel mug in the ESPN calf? I do not wash it. Um, usually, if the, once the coffee's gone, I just fill that with water and um, to drink. And then there's still some in there when I'm leaving, and I drink it on the way home. Two, knock on wood or touch wood. I immediately thought that touch wood had a more European feel to it, writes Dr. Siegel. And again, the internet is my friend. A Google search reveals the immutable fact, as stated on Grammarist.com. Touch wood is a superstitious phrase spoken when one has acknowledged some good fortune and wishes the good fortune to continue. Touch wood is the British counterpart to the American knock on wood. Touch wood dates at least from the early 17th century and perhaps earlier. Speaking of that, I'm reading a book right now called Dreyer's English by Benjamin Dreyer. Uh, it's a, sort of a guide to, it, he's, he's the, the copy editor at Random House, and uh, it's just a lot of stuff about punctuation, about spelling, about this word versus that word. And one of the things he talks about is British uh, versus American English. And one thing that, you know, the whole humor, H-U-M-O-U-R versus H-U-M-O-R. Uh, so there's, there's uh, glamour, G-L-A-M-O-U-R over there. G-L-A-M-O-R over here. But the magazine is G-A-L-A-M-O-U-R. And, but even over there where it's G-L-A-M-O-U-R, mm-hmm. Glamorous is, is still G-L-A-M-O-R-O-U-S. Mm-hmm. You don't find that interesting, perhaps because it's not. No, it's, it's interesting enough. Okay. Three. Steve, you mentioned Johnny Carson and Kojak when referencing the bathtubs with the doors. I have recently found myself spending time on YouTube watching Dave Letterman's top 10 lists, and as you might expect, they're an awfully entertaining four minutes or so each. I highly recommend them as a great way to waste time when you don't have to or want to do something productive. Also, Rebecca, what is a regulation bathtub, please? I kind of think that most of us might have said a normal bathtub, but a regulation bathtub had a nice sports feel to it. I guess a regulation bathtub is one that is uh, is one that, that is approved by... Uh, the the uh, International Federation of, of Bathtub Manufacturers. I think, yeah, I think that's right. But, but you would have to Frenchify that, like FIFA or FIBA. It would have to be the Fédération Internationale de Saldaban. FIDBA? Yeah, something like that. Um, by the way, the Letterman Top Ten, we, we have two Letterman Top Ten books mm-hmm. in, in uh, physical books. We do. That were in the bathroom for forever until they disappeared from there. I think probably were disappeared by yeah, you. Yeah, I think it was time to... Say goodbye? Yeah. Four, attached, please find a picture of F1 media man Will Buxton's automobile dashboard. Oh dear, one of his tires, T-Y-R-E-S, is flat and the units of pressure are indeed not pounds per square, are indeed not pounds per square inch. Rest assured that our friend Will had a proper had proper repairs done, as the French you say, à la maison. And he gave kudos to the firm responsible for the at-home tire repair on Instagram. Will Buxton is uh, a talking head in Drive to Survive, the Formula One series that uh, Dr. Siegel and I have been fans of on Netflix. And uh, and uh, Will Buxton does indeed uh, have a notification on his dashboard to check tires, T-Y-R-E-S. Five, as a double O OBGYN, I noted a milestone this past week on my speedometer, again with the attached picture. At that time, my Subaru WRX manual transmission, as completionists likely know, had the near palindromic mileage of 70,000 007, 70007. Mm. And the tripodometer was at 7.7 miles. How could I not send a picture to the podcast? And indeed, that is here is the speedometer 70,007 miles, 007. For double O, BGYN, Dr. Gary Siegel. With apologies to Ed McMahon, Johnny Carson, and Karnak the, Karnak the Magnificent, I have below the final item, number six. Cue massive applause. Mm-hmm. I hold in my hand the final envelope. Six, answer. Punt to Mrs. DGS. Question. What does this Atlanta native, married to another native, do when Southwest Airlines is significantly less expensive than Delta Airlines to the same location when the family gathers for Mardi Gras in New Orleans next month? Punt to Mrs. DGS. Best regards, Gary with two R's, Dr. Siegel, uh, uh, magnificent missive as always. And um, what else do we have this week, Rebecca? Anything? That's it. That's it. So, for... Uh, producer Denny Gallagher ex- ensconced uh, in his uh, bungalow under the uh, auspices of Mr. Furley. Him. Yeah. Tom, <laughs> Dick, and Ari. <laughs> Shut me up out. and play us out. <laughs>
says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.